Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. I am your host, Sam, and I have the pleasure, honor, privilege of being joined today by Drew Lindo and Dean Jorgeris. Uh, Dean Jorgeris, of course, the writer of episode 208, Nomad, and Drew Lindo uh, wrote Secret History as well as being executive producer on the show. Uh, thank you both for joining me. I'm so glad you're here. Dean, how are you? Good. Good. Seems like it's been a long journey to get to talking about the two. <laughs> Absolutely. I can only imagine. That's definitely been a bit of a theme running through a lot of the interviews for these first eight episodes. People saying, I hope I remember because it was, you know, it was back in February or, or, you know, whatnot. So um, I can I can imagine it feels longer than usual. Drew, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm excited to talk about 208 as well, because good grief to be end the midseason with a bang. Uh, You don't get to go shoot an episode in Egypt every day, do you? No, definitely not. Although I wish you guys did. That'd be cool. I wish we did too, because none of us actually went. But you know, that's <laughs> the, the episode. The actually, episode. you know what? That's a great question to start off with, though. Yeah. The episode. Oh, go ahead, Dean. I was going to say the episode filmed. It was in pre-production when the writers' strike was called, um, and so I canceled my ticket because I would have gone. Because you know, we shot three, three and a half days over in Egypt um, with a local Egyptian crew. It's something Martin Garrow's done before, at you know, countries all over the world. Um, and it was, I think, it was really even with a crew. I think it was really sort of guerrilla style filmmaking, and just in terms of how much um, they were trying to accomplish in how little time. Um, but it was super. It was exciting. You know, we knew from the start, Martin had circled 208 and said, we were going to take a break as a show, strike or no strike, after 208, your production was going to go on hiatus. So he said, well, we can do, that's when you do your international episode, when, when, when production goes on hiatus. Um, and, uh, I wish I had gone, but um, super proud of what they were able to accomplish. Yeah, I, it looks it looks amazing. Um, one of the things that I was curious, you know, as Drew was mentioning, um, not getting to go, and obviously you didn't get to go either. But who who all was actually there? I mean, from outward appearances, viewing the episode, it looks like obviously Ray was there. I'm I'm assuming Caitlin was also there. Did Eliza go as well? Um, Eliza went. She must have gone. Trying to this is what happens when it's been months. Um, I think it was just the the sure. or principal cast in that episode so it was ray it was caitlin it was eliza and it was azita who's playing um leila adele and um it was chris grismer mm-hmm. our director who's directing the episode one of our assistant directors and you know i think our costume designer and that was probably about it i mean it was only you know only a few a handful of people um and then the, and then local crew was hired. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it, like I said, the, the, the episode looks amazing. And I, I mean, huge tip of the hat to Chris Grismer too, because I just think that he directed the hell out of it. I mean, it, it, it just looks so good. So cinematic. Um, you know, some of the more intimate moments between Ben and Hannah are, are, are just beautiful and, um, you know, filmed with this kind of like this, this tenderness and this artistic flair that I really appreciated. Um, so, you know, writing the episode, um, and then w- at what point did you know that that you were going to actually that the episode was actually going to be filmed partly in Egypt? So I'm trying to remember. You know, we and and Drew helped me out on this. We built out the season, and so we knew we knew two eight was going to be an episode where. Um, Ray and Hannah were going to connect emotionally and physically, you know, like there'd be at least a kiss. Um, we knew that it was the episode that we were going to reveal there may actually be a way to bring Ben home. Um, the room, I don't remember when the room came up with the idea that Tom should propose in the same, or we should think there's a proposal in the same episode. Right. So we knew the pieces, um, and I knew early on I was going to write it i think like just the way we broke out you know who who was free when um and then what happened was we got a list of great places you could film internationally successfully and you know my mind first went to some of these european capitals that 
one, are kind of hard to make look 1960. And two, they don't look all that different than American cities. I mean, don't get me wrong. They look different, but they don't look all that different. And Martin's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> if we're going to go abroad, we, we're, we're walking at the bottom of the Sphinx. I want like a pyramid. He's like, if you're going abroad, you have to say to like, people have to be like, wait, did they really do that? Did they really go there? And so Egypt was, was on the list. And then when we thought about the themes and the sort of the romanticism and there's sort of a bit of a Casablanca feel to it. And all of a sudden Cairo 1962 just felt like a, like the perfect place to tell the story. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're ever going to sort of get swept away into the fantasy of what might be, what might've been potentially think you're stranded here forever. You know, it just had that feel of a place where when you're there, you're in, you're in a different world if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, it, it definitely does. Um, and I think you, you, you mentioned Casablanca. And as I was watching the episode, um, not really the first time, but the second time when I was watching the episode, there were a couple of things that I couldn't help but just make connections to. And I think, you know, Casablanca being one, uh, the spy who loved me, you, you know, being another. But there's also a very grounded element to the episode that takes it out of kind of that James Bond world. I mean, there's even a couple of lines within the script that, that, that hint at that. And there's this television show that I don't know if either one of you are familiar with that um, I, I all of a sudden it hit me the parallels, not only with this episode, but with Quantum Leap in general, in spite of being very different, um, is this old British show called The Sandbaggers, which is a brilliant, brilliant spy show. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And the thing that's so amazing about it is that it, much like this iteration of quantum leap there there's two sides of the story there's the field team that's on the mission and then there's you know what's happening back at, at home at the ministry of defense and such and and most of the episode actually take place at home so you see kind of the you know the backroom dealings the politics all that sort of stuff and you don't actually see a lot of what's happening in the field but when you do it's you know the big moments um but anyway, I, you know, I also thought of like John le Carre and, and, and Alan First and, and like Mick Heron's uh, Slow Horses series and that sort of stuff. So I'm curious, Dean, like, did you have any influences or did you just kind of sit down and say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to write a spy story for Quantum Leap and have fun with it? No, no. I mean, I I come originally from writing features that were sort of tortured romantic dramas like Tristan and Zelda. So sure. You know, <laughs> When we first, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but the, the whole notion of Hannah as a character was first brought up. I was very excited because it's one of my favorite kinds of things to, stories to tell. I just, I like telling interesting, thoughtful, pro hopefully provocative love stories. Um, and I think English Patient, probably, a film. Mm. Um, you know, films where you're you're trying to underwrite the dialogue if possible what i mean by that is you know it's not it's not like it doesn't go on and on and on with lines and it's not big sweeping stuff it's just but it's but the ideas are big right they're they're talking about big big feelings and big concepts like being perhaps being stranded together um you know i mean that's that's who doesn't like writing or watching that. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned, Hannah and Drew, I'll, I'll throw this to you. The last time, of course, that we saw Hannah was in Secret History in 206 and, and Ben and Hannah share that kiss at the end. Um, when you were writing Secret History, did you already have a, a bit of an idea of what was coming in Nomad for their relationship? And was there anything that you did to kind of position things for that? Or you know, was it, was it more just kind of in the discussions that you had already had that you kind of, you had a general feel, if not necessarily a specific notion of what was going to occur between them? I feel like maybe there was more um, runway set up for 203 into 206 than from 206 into 208. Mm -hmm. I think, I think Dean might've gone back, if I recall, and added in, you should check out Princeton because we knew we were doing Princeton in six. And so that was a Dean contribution to three was like that she was headed that in that direction. I think for eight, it was more like when we talked about it, it was more that six is like their first, like, are, like you know, it's the, it's the introduction to them being able to maybe pursue this relationship in some way, shape, or form. And eight would be an actual vehicle where they could try to juggle 
you know, what can we be while also staying on the purpose and the destiny that Ben has? So it just, it was more like, I think it was all Dean's to, and, and, you know, Dean is, I've talked about this before, but he and Martin really were the genesis of this story for the season of, of this Ben Hanna story and how it was going to intersect in the leaps. And so it was more like it was, it was, it was Dean's turn to just do exactly what he wanted to do in the most beautiful, exotic possible location. But it, but also to figure out what, what is the balance? Cause this, the difference from six to eight is that in six, Hannah is the person of the week, right? Hannah is the person sure. to help. And this, what, what I thought Dean did such a beautiful job of on the page and, and how the episode turned out is we didn't sacrifice a leap for Hannah is finding a way to sort of bring Hannah and Layla and Addison all into one story that Ben is still very active and, and driving that story, but finding a way that it feels germane to this episode and, and this idea that it was a two person leap and that maybe that's why they got brought back together was all Dean's construction and, and, and idea. So no, I think it was more just like every episode you set up some pieces and then the next episode, you can just go deeper and more and, and explore it in a more profound way because you've got, you've got history already in the camp. Yeah, uh, no, I, I love that. That makes it makes a lot of sense, and especially with the way that this episode is set up, and there is so much going on, and yet I, I, I feel like it never, you know, it never strays kind of from the the momentum that gets set up at the very beginning. You, you know, we see Ben outside the pyramids. It's just, I, I think, right away, you know, the hooks are in, and, and we just get drawn along, you know, for the whole episode. And and Drew, I'm glad you mentioned Addison because. Obviously, at the end of A Kind of Magic, we know that Addison is, is going to be the observer again. You know, Ben says, will you be my hologram again? And and yet, where we start this episode off is in a, a moment that is very Addison-Tom-centric, at least from the you know current day uh, perspective, without obviously spoiling anything, not that you ever would, but can you talk, Dean, a little bit about where the relationship between Tom and Addison is right now? And um, especially with, it, it It seems like we're starting to get a little bit more of a hint of some residual, I'll say, because I don't necessarily know that they're at the forefront, but certainly residual romantic feelings that Addison still has for Ben as well. I think, you know, one of the things we had not, done yet this season um, was we hadn't seen Addison and Tom really as a domestic couple. We had not, there's, there's, you know, we, we've only seen them at HQ. And so one of the fun things to do was to finally get to see them together. This is, you know, what are they like at home? Have like, what are they like cooking chachuca or something like that? Right. Um, and so that, that was, it was fun to do that because really what we were trying to do and what I was trying to do was present these as viable alternative paths that their romantic lives may take. Like, like really actually see like, okay, well, whatever feelings you have about Addison and Tom vis-a-vis -vis because of the Ben history, here's what they're like as a couple. And seeing them at home, I like them. Hey, they're like, this is fun. Um, and likewise, what what would a Hannah-Ben romance actually look like? Um, and in, so in, at the episodes, you know, there's a lot of parallels in the episode. And that's probably, you know, one of the more significant one. And the other one really just being this construct that kind of we just fell into of, oh, you know, Ben's a nomad. You know, and and in, that's a lot like being a, a spy who wants to defect, you know, like these are places, people who mm -hmm. don't really have established homes anymore. Um, so by starting with a very domestic scene that we've never seen anything like, honestly, I think probably since the pilot drew, unless I'm wrong, we, we saw it with magic and Beth, right? We saw one really right. nice, right. Magic Beth. But we don't see a lot of domestic bliss on this show. And so, you yeah. know, to, to really like, there's not much more of a contrast you can draw than a nice kitchen cooking breakfast and being, and meanwhile in the deserts of Egypt, like while you're trying to help someone defect like a, you know, a potential romance. 
Yeah, I you know I, it's so interesting too the, the the moment between the two of them you know they're cooking the ingredients and 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 I think that there's some wonderful subtext there with that dialogue and the timing aspect of it in potential in, in particular um, and and how important that is for relationships and how that plays a huge part not only in this episode but in the whole series. Um, there is a moment when after Addison has found the engagement ring. Um, which actually, before I ask this next question, let me just put this to you first. Was it a hard decision to decide that there would be an engagement ring that, that, that the character of Tom has decided that maybe this is where the relationship is, where it's headed. Did you, did you question, you know, or, or was that just, did it make sense? Always make sense. No, you know, I think as a room, you sort of always debate and pressure test story points and also pacing points, you know, did something Drew and I in particular talk a lot about, like, does this feel rushed? Does this feel earned? Why is this character doing this at this given moment? And you know, it would be one thing if what I felt was too far would be a surprise out of nowhere, the audience is not prepared for it, proposal. Like mm. for him to do the proposing, um, and, and I think that was, the room was sort of, the consensus was we all felt if that was the first the audience was introduced to the subject of marriage for these two, that it would be just shocking to the point of maybe too abrupt. But yeah. because Addison finds a ring, and because realistically, you know, he could have been thinking about it for a week, he could have been thinking about it for a year, he, I mean, not a year, obviously, but... <laughs> For all she knows, it could be a ring from the past. It, it allowed us as storytellers options, um, depending on how we felt about it when we filmed it, when we saw it. Um, but it also just felt right. It just felt, of the choices, it felt right. And, you know, both Tom and Hannah serve very important functions in the lives of Ben and Addison. And in a lot of ways, I would say parallel functions. And it's something we can come back to when we're back together talking about um, the season finale that Drew has just written that's so magnificent. Um, so it was, I mean, look, this is a big sweeping romantic episode. This is an yeah. episode of proposals and, and you know, perhaps never go home moments. So I think in that way, it was consistent within the language of the episode, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, it definitely does. Drew, I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are on the potential proposal and the idea of the, you know, the relationship between Addison and Tom advancing to that point. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to, I really want to answer your question without getting killed, <laughs> but I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, these people had lives before the events of 202. Right, these people had yep. an experience and and perhaps a future, and then two hundred two just threw everything up in the air and just was a complete shock to the system for both of them. So um, it felt like we needed to acknowledge in some way that these two people are trying or were trying and might still try to build a life together before everything got stuck in this strange purgatory, right? That they're that they're both in now because Ben is back, but he's not really back. Um, and it's also just a way, like Dean said, just looking at these two parallel um, destinies available to these two characters. Because it, something I think that is a little unfair is this idea that, like, what is Addison really supposed to do? Like, is she supposed to pull a Donna and just never? <laughs> I, mean, right. I mean, we don't know what happened to Donna, but like, you know, these people can't aren't watching TV; they're living these stories, you know, and right. their whole lives are going by. And what is fair? to them. And if Ben, you know, based on history, no one's been able to come home before. So if Ben can't, you know, what is, what is she expected to do? Is she expected to pine as a hologram forever or is she allowed to be happy? And I think those are, you know, complex, but real questions you can ask, even on a network television show, you should be able to ask those questions about what these people really deserve because they're going through an unimaginable amount of shock and trauma and loss. Um, so I, and I just think that Dean's episode really, balances all those those complex and contradicting emotions you know like there is always going to be affection and love there but also there is an acknowledgement that these people both deserve happiness um 
Ben even says, I like Tom, which is, which is true. Like after yeah. six, like in some respect. So it's like, what, what do these people deserve? And these are good people, but good people still struggle with, with what they're allowed to have and how it might hurt somebody else. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is fascinating is that this, this is definitely, in my opinion, a case of a certain point of view, because I, one of the things that I, I think that sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll hear a small number of people maybe criticize the relationship or the decision that Addison has made to move on. But I think if you really shift the point of view and take it from uh, you know different perspective, you start to realize that Addison and Tom had a friendship and relationship prior to her ever meeting Ben. Right. So who's to say that the real love story isn't these two people that knew each other once upon a time, things happened, you know, Tom got married, you know, suffers the loss of his wife. That's awful. But Addison moves on because that's what people do. Right. And now Addison finds herself, you know, in love with Ben and then everything happens. But now all of a sudden Tom and Addison are back together. Right. You tell that story in that way. And all of a sudden the story starts to look like it's, you know, oh, Tom and Addison love story. And, and so I think that that's the thing that I really enjoy is the fact that there is a history between these two, that it's not just someone that Addison met in the intervening three years while Ben was gone, which I think was a really smart choice. Um, Here's a question that I have, because I'll admit I was a little surprised at first and not because the crew hasn't been supportive prior to this point. And in, 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 I mean, they have been. But Ian's reaction to uh, Addison telling them about finding the ring, I, I was I was a little surprised at how enthusiastic they were about it. So, uh, Dean, you wrote it. So I'll get to you in a second. Drew, I'm just curious what you thought about that. Well, I, you know, again, we, we did a time jump. So the characters all had history together and with Tom that we haven't seen, but we're feeling, you know, we're seeing, you know, whether it's Magic's alcoholism or uh, Ian's secret, you know, or Addison's trauma and, you know, nearly throwing herself in an accelerator. Like they've all gone through a hell of a lot. And so I think they are all extending a lot of grace towards one another because of how much damage the events of, of those three years have caused one another. And so I think it's, I think they all are just aware that they are all doing the best they can and, and have gone to hell and back. And so it's harder to, it's harder to cry foul that someone might have a real chance at, at life or happiness when you, you've seen them, you know, at the brink of the abyss. No, that's an excellent point. And, and when I was lucky enough to have Caitlin on a couple of weeks ago, she made a, a wonderful, wonderful point about, for, you know, from her point of view, Ian was probably like the last one to stop calling. You know, like the rest of the team had moved on, but they were still kind of checking in with her. And, and, and so in that context, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, Dean, um, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm curious about your perspective. Well, I think part of it is Ian as a character, you know, is this beacon of optimism. Um, and I think, you know, from their perspective, Addison has said, you won't believe this, I found an engagement ring. And that's an exciting piece of news. You yeah. know, she's not saying, you won't believe this, we secretly got married last year and I have <laughs> that I didn't tell you about. You know what I mean? She's saying that there's a ring. Um, and in fact, that scene in the script went on longer. It was one of the scenes we had to cut for time. Um, where uh, where Ian sort of teases Addison for Addison's, she's just not even sure how to process it because I think in, in an early draft, Jen was in the scene too. And Jen was sort of said like, did you find it because you were snooping? And Addison's like, no, <laughs> I, I found it by accident. And, Ad, and Jen's like, oh my God, it's so much worse. Like, like on yourself. It's, you know, right, right, right. Of snooping. Um, and so... But, you know, kind of what Drew was saying, it's so easy to, to like, look at everything and go, dun, 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 like, this is heavy or this is sad. It's like, Addison's happy. You know, she's been happy. Um, she was happy with Ben. She was destroyed. She found happiness, a new kind of happiness with Tom, and was building that. And now... Ben is back in her life, but there's no, we know how to get Ben home when she finds that ring. Right. You know, and, you know, another thing is she lives every leap, I believe right now, with the like, okay, well, we can lose him for another three years. We mm. can like, what, there's, there's no guarantees. Like there's a, there's a sort of Damocles hanging over everybody's head this season because they know we've lost Ben once 
and we're, we're on year 35 or something like that with Sam. Like, right. we don't have a great track record here. <laughs> so, so I think it was just about having her friends express excitement because they all want her to be happy. And, and uh, you know, and I think we all feel like if Tom was a bad choice or a bad guy, I think the reaction would be different. You know yeah. what I mean? But, but yeah. this, is a, this, is a, this is a good man. And right. if this is the direction Addison wants to go, they all are behind that. I think Ben is behind that, right? I mean, that's sort of what, as he kind of expresses in the episode. Like, right. they both, I think, really get it that this may be a permanent situation. And, you know, one of the things I was so excited to write in this episode was to explore this notion of, well, what is life for a time traveler? Like, what's their life? The things they, that's theirs. You know what I mean? Like, we all have our homes and our friends and our, you know, I call, I send, one of the things I'll do is I'll send Drew pages as I'm working on them and he'll be like, this is great. This is terrible. Like, mostly just he's a cheer, like he's a cheerleader um, and, and fountain of good ideas. But Ben has none of that. Yeah. He has nothing except a hologram and a bunch of missions with strangers that he comes to care about. But, you know, that's not where he doesn't have a bed that stays the same. He doesn't have anything. And so, right. so what is that? What happens if we said to Ben right now, that's your life, your living experience in this universe is going to be to you a perception of 60 years doing leaps. Like, in a way, that's solitary confinement in terms yeah. of having your own personal life. And so what I was so excited about was the universe starting to give Ben someone to connect to so that he wasn't completely alone. And Addison seeing that and realizing how important that it is that she has that same connection in her life. In this case, it's Tom, right? I mean, I think the easiest argument you can make is in 208, the universe is like, okay, we've decided Tom for you, Hannah for you, at least for this episode, right? That's right. the way the universe presents it. Um, and it's, I think it's really all easy for all of us to judge someone else, say, oh, well, in that situation, knowing everything I know, I would have made a different choice. It's like, <laughs> like happiness is not that easy to find. Right. And love and connection is not that easy to find. Yeah. So the other thing I think is really cool that Dean has been exploring this season, and you know that that we will probably talk more about as this season goes on. But this idea of like the complex exponential um, value and scope of love, right? Like, how much can you love one person? How much can you love not just one person? Like, how like it's a it's an infinite resource. It's a complex state of energy that is that is going on and so you're seeing all these people who were really good decent people coming to to wrestle with the limits of who they can or cannot love or or, or possess or or release and let go and still love their own way but like it's it's a very you know complex um i wouldn't even call it a quadrant but it's, it's a complex situation for everybody you know and nobody is like scheming or trying to destroy anybody else it's just very they're all adults and they're all in a very impossible situation but you know, it's not as simple as just like, well, I love this person and I don't give a shit about you. It's, it's <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody really does care about one another and has very, very loaded attachments. So it's, it puts, it's right for great drama. And also fun fact, I do believe at one point 206 was going to end with Addison witnessing the kiss. We took it mm. out and so how we did because it really made the arrival at that idea for Addison so much stronger in Nomad that this idea of like, not just about missions it's not just about the plot of the week it's that there's something that he deserves that he gets to have now that i didn't realize was even possible yeah I, you know i two things one i think that it's the there are some interesting parallels between hannah and tom especially in the course of this episode and it's information that we've learned about tom prior but i think it comes to the forefront here with his decision to potentially propose and hannah certainly you know her um, I don't want to say overtures, but certainly her uh, discussions with Ben about 
you know, that this is, might be all we have. And, you know, let's, let's share this moment. And, you know, Tom, of course, having lost his spouse and being in, you know, when that happens and, and when you grieve, or, you know, when you, when you lose something like that, or when you have to kind of suffer this, you know, five-year absence from, from having the last time you saw someone or whatnot, I think that it creates a situation where, um, you, you, you do find yourself much more able to, I think, fall in love, quite frankly, you, you know, to, to, to know when something feels right, because you, you know what it's like to be without it. And so when it's there in front of you, I think you're much more apt to just to go for it. Um, the other thing that's interesting to me about uh, you know about the interactions between Hannah and, and Addison in, in this episode uh, is how aware Addison is of of Hannah at all times and, and vice versa. Hannah, which is interesting considering Hannah can't actually even see her, but there's this wonderful awareness. Dean, can you talk a little bit about that and just kind of what that means for these characters, especially going forward? Well, I, I should start by saying I don't think I had to appreciated the potential for humor in it. It was actually Drew, Drew it was actually Drew who was who said like you should you should have fun here. Like it which ended up turning into that little back and forth the act out. Wait, did you call her beautiful? Did you call her that all came because Drew said there's there's humor to be had here. But genuine feelings recognize genuine feelings, right? And I think it's it's just as a quick aside, it's a particularly Western modern Western notion that love is like this limited amount of thing that walls must be up. Like you must pair with one person and only love that. It's like, that's not, there's, there's, there's nothing I can think of in the universe besides love that seems to not, it doesn't dwindle. Like you could use a, you drink, I could love 50 people. You don't love your 51st kid any less. Like love, right. there's nothing that suggests love is finite. Um, and I think that's Hannah's point of view in a way, like, just like she was able to immediately grasp Ben as a time traveler because she was like, I see beyond these arbitrary limits. That's her relationship with love. Like she's like, what's, you know, this is, we should, we should be so happy. But I think, you know, for Addison, it's just the awareness. It's just seeing, wow, like Ben's getting to sit with someone and she knows who he is. Ben is having a genuine conversation. And Ben, I think Addison respects Hannah. I think she likes Hannah. You know what I mean? Hannah's a force. Hannah went to Princeton. Hannah like now is, you know, like a top scientist here. She's in Cairo, she's fearless. Like she knows what Ben does. And when Ben says, I'm here on a dangerous mission, Hannah's mind is like, well, clearly I should be helping, you know? So, I mean, if you think about it, they're incredibly similar, H Hannah. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. So I, I do think it's a case of when you, you know, in real life, when you love someone and when you can't be with them for whatever the reason, like you, you know, you fell out of love, but you still have that bond as long as it wasn't a destructive tear you it's easy to want for them to be happy or it's certainly what you, it's what someone who really loves you wants and addison really loves ben and ben really loves addison and i think the whole idea was in episode one we're going to drop a bomb in episode two the bomb is going to hit all of our characters in the present and it's going to take six episodes for ben and addison to get to a place where potentially we believe and they believe they can be happy for each other because they can accept this is this is what's happened. This is what yeah. this is. and and you know, I always like to remind people, Ben's the one who got in the accelerator. You know, Ben like <laughs> Ben did the leaving. Like there's just and and he I remind them that to say is he never forgets that. Do you know what I mean? As much yeah. as he's angry, he's mad that Addison didn't wait. It's like, those are all the things you say when you're first mad. You know, we all say ridiculous stuff when we're mad. And then we think about it. And then you say, well, like, now that I think about it, I did leap without telling her. I didn't give her a chance to help herself. 
I love her. Tom seems like a good guy. Yeah, this is like, I get it. And that's, you know, I think that was the goal. But I have to say, I don't think any of us were sure. You know, you don't know. You're like, is it, can we pull this off? And then, then it's really on your actors to, you know, it was a, it's a big thing to come to your cast. I mean, we knew they're incredible. Um, it was, but it's a big thing to go from, okay, you spent a whole year in this lane. So now <laughs> over the course of eight episodes, we want you to tell this story in glances, in lines of dialogue, in separation, and then in coming together. And I, I mean, I just think, you know, they, they pull it off. I mean, I don't know what to say it. Like they, yeah. they, they completely pull it off. And the fact that the audience has embraced Hannah as much as they have, I think is very interesting simply because arguably this is their third date or second right. date. Like everybody's like wants to get on Addison that like she's been in a relationship after she was alone for years. It's like, okay, well, Ben found out in episode two and he was kind of flirting with somebody in episode three. Right. Right. You know, I I think that it's, it is interesting, um, but it makes a lot of sense to me because I just think that the, the nature of the relationship and everything that you said earlier about Ben not having anyone or having anything, you know, the nature of his existence as a time traveler, once you kind of gave him some sort of touchstone, it was impossible, I think, for people to not want him to continue to have that because, you know, it's the same thing like with Sam, right? It's the reason why I think so many people were upset that Sam never went home is because it's like, well, where does that leave Sam? You know, and I never, I wept like a child when I read that title card for the fur in card for the first time, I mean, I was a child, but that's besides the point. I, you know, I, I came to accept it. I came to appreciate it. And and now I, I support the decision wholeheartedly. I think it's an amazing, it was an amazing, courageous choice, honestly. But that said, by giving Ben, you know, that, that thing to go back to um, and having it be this incredibly realized character. And I think Eliza is phenomenal in the role so it's it's easy to see why and especially after nomad i think that the nature of their relationship and where we leave it it's even more wanting for them to come back together than it was at the end of secret history you know at secret history it's like if 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 he had gotten to share that kiss and share that moment it would have been a feel good moment and sure you would have looked back on him like wow i wish they would have gotten back together but i think you would have kind of been like okay these things happen but after nomad it's like okay, that's got to happen as soon as possible. When are they going to get back together? Basically, I'm just trying to figure out when is Hannah going to come back? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Drew, what should we say? I think what we should say is, you know, we always, I think when we write these episodes, we we watch them as an audience. At least I think we try to, right? And so the fact that you're dying to see Hannah again is not is good. That's what we like. Um, And so I think if this, you know, our goal is always to give you what you want, but then (laughs) you think about something in a way you're like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. So I think you'll see her again. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny you say that. We know Ben doesn't know she's a regular. We know she's a regular. Uh, The irony. Um, I, I I think it's safe to say, Everything in 208, there's a heightened sense of romantic possibility to it, right? So I do think Ben is leaving 208 thinking, I'm going to be a time traveler. I'm going to embrace it. It's going to be good. And I have this new person in my life named Hannah. And like, I'm excited for the first time, arguably, at least since 202. Like, you know, and potentially, you know, like the first time, honestly happy since he's been a time traveler and he's embraced the idea. So I do think this is a, it's a little, the whole episode is like a little safe cradle space where it's like those films like before sunset and before sunrise. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we all have those, those magic moments where like the sort of the, the penumbra of the situation creates a little cocoon of like, oh, this world could be this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's fair to, I think I understand that uh, we all should be wanting to see them together again. Yeah. Also, I think what's very cool about six and eight as these 
like these, you know, satellite stories for the Ben and Hannah relationship is the end of six is Hannah is confident she's going to see Ben again, right? And the end of eight is Ben is a believer. Like that's something very mm. cool you know, that he is starting to believe in this this purpose or this you know this gift and this this time and seeing it through her eyes that this is this this might actually be a viable thing that he can experience even though he's being thrust all throughout the timeline. So it's very cool to see Ben again. Like this is part of that journey, right? Of like we're seeing him his spirit being reignited after this huge low point. Um, and, and it's very exciting to see where, where that will take him next. Yeah, there's definitely a level of confidence when he walks away from her at the end of the episode, which is very different from the situation we see, like at the end of you know three, for instance, when he walks away from her, you know, kind of like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm not going to see you later, but sure, I'll say it, you know. Um, the uh, uh, one of the things that uh, about the episode that I think was really fascinating, and um, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about you know, kind of giving people what they want, but then maybe shifting things or shifting expectations is that the shifting sands of this episode, I'm so sorry. Um, when we learned that Layla possibly was murdered, um, you know, we've not really talked a lot about this, but, but, you know, Ben's mission is there to help get this spy out um, and, you know, and, and, and get her safe. And uh, it turns out that at one point in the episode, you know, everyone thinks she's dead. And I'm curious, you know, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened in an episode of, of Quantum Leap, but it, it, it certainly it plays very strongly here because I think that emotionally the investment in the characters, obviously, there's this there's this idea of like, well, if Ben gets stuck here, maybe it won't be so bad. You know, what would his life look like? And he and Hannah are able to discuss that a little bit. But when making the choice to, you know, to kind of take that left turn as opposed to let things go smoothly, um, what goes into making a decision like that? Is it just the storytelling possibilities? Is it, is it, is it kind of that, that idea of like, I can make the audience think one thing and then show them something else. What's your intent? The, I think actually, although, you know, the intent wasn't to be twisty at all. I mean, I sure it's, it's a little Ziggy's egg, but the intent really was let's let Ben and our core characters sit for as long as we can. And I wish, I wish, you know, I wish we were full 60 minute shows like, cause we would have spent five more minutes, I think there or longer. I would, right. that, my personal love, I would have loved to have spent longer with this feeling of, Oh, like maybe this is how it ends for me. This is maybe this is how it ended for Sam. Um, I think it was really important for Ben to experience that. I think it was really important for all of our characters to experience it. And, and it's, it's, I don't, I'm not a viewer, so I don't know how well it comes across, but I think for Hannah, you know, it's a different perspective for Hannah because, you know, in a way it's like, well, I met this time traveling guardian angel. And if I just completely fucked up his whole guardian angel, now, so <laughs> like if I messed it up, but I think some part of her knows no matter what Ben's saying, I think she's so confident that the universe, as much as she would love for it to be, he's going to be with her every day from now on. I think some part of her knows, and that's what we were trying to get at with the phone ringing and him, uh, her knowing like she's the minute she hears that ring, she's mm -hmm. like, the spell is broken. We're going back to, um, reality and i think in a lot of ways that's just meant to be like just like a little easter egg in a way of like the sense of just when you think something might be the way you want it to be something happens yeah i mean i genuinely thought that that was probably where you were going with it but it's so nice to hear that because it, it it's not it wasn't it clearly wasn't done just for the sake of doing it i'm sorry drew what you were gonna say well, just to, I, I think also that uh, it's interesting how the, the, the universe in Quantum Leap, whatever force is out there, is such a character in both series, right? And and we're and what's great about it, not unless you believe it's a bartender, what's great about it is that it's it's um, it's sort of unknowable, but you're you want to prescribe a positive, um, altruistic intention to the design, but also terrible things still happen, right? And so that's what's so interesting about this season, right? Is that 
you know, just when in, like if, if the finale of season one is like, trust this whole, trust this whole system, Ben, see, it's going to, it's going to work out. You're going to stop Bleeper X and, you know, everything's going to work out. Uh, but it didn't, you know, there's a huge sense of failure for everyone this season. Ben didn't come home. No one was able to find him. Everyone had to give up and the whole thing got shut down. And so what's very interesting on a spiritual level about season two of Quantum Leap is that people are oscillating wildly between, you know, finding a level of faith that it's all going to be okay and absolutely cratering with this idea that all is lost and that there is no meaning whatsoever because there's been some really, I mean, this is a huge, huge loss that they've all experienced and it's not, it wasn't looking out for everybody exactly. So it was very cool to see Dean explore that within the episode, right? Which is like, because we're all looking for meaning in our lives. Like, what, are, what am I here to do and what yeah. am I supposed to do, right? And so for Ben, for a moment, it's like, was I, am I, have I just failed? And once again, I've lost, or is this a gift? And I'm supposed to stay here and be happy? And that's a really amazing moral dilemma and, and question to be posing to the hero of your show, even if it's just, you know, for, for one chapter of the episode. But it was great to see them sort of reckon with that. Like, what is, what are we, is this what we, are we supposed to get this? Is this a reward that's disguised as, as a as a defeat? Um, but yeah, the show must go on. Yeah, I you know speaking of the show must go on. Actually, this is a perfect segue because one of the things that I'm very curious about is whether or not we're going to explore at any point in time or get to see, you know, any of what's happening to Hannah in the times in her off time, if you will, because it's been years in between when she's seen Ben, and uh, you know I think that there will definitely be a growing curiosity of like what she been up to, you know. Um, so I'm very curious. I'm, I think Drew's, uh, I'm happy that you're curious. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, that would be, that, that's a, that's a great question to be asking. That's, I think, I think it's, what's been very cool about the season is there's a lot of questions people are asking that are, uh, very insightful. I'm glad it's insightful. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think that, yeah, there's, there's, the, the interesting thing is to to go back to what you were just saying, Drew, also about sort of the metaphysical side of things is that in season one, there was this lovely running subtext and undercurrent of like, you know, the implications of technology, um, you know, on these human beings and on our lives. And uh, and it played out really well through the course of the season. And it, and, and it continues, obviously, in a strain here with the with the microchip and, you know, and everything that's going on there. However, it to the you know what has been brought more to the forefront and and i've said this multiple times of course is the fact that we've got even more of a focus on the people and the relationships and and what's bringing them together or what's keeping them apart um dean can you talk a little bit about especially you know being executive producer co-showrunner writer in your capacity a little bit about the decision to focus more on these themes and if that, you know, is an intentional thing, um, you know, maybe moving a little bit away from the focus that we had in season one. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was the, it was the attention of the entire season. I mean, it was the, it was the intention behind, it's the intention behind every choice. And I think, you know, as Martin likes to say, we, we think of each season of Quantum Leap as a, as its own book in a series of books and, and, and in this season, I think we really wanted to explore the emotional roller coaster that it is being a part of this program. You know, it's it, whether it's Ben or Addison or the person who loves Addison or magic or do you know I mean? Like the, the mm -hmm. idea was let's look under the hood in a way like, we're going to tell our leap stories and, and they're, and they're always the most important thing. I, you know, we, we're spending the time talking about the serialized story for the most part, which is great um, because that's what changes between the seasons is the serialized story you tell. But to me, I can relate to people on an emotional level. You know, I can, I can follow stories and I can engage on them on an intellectual level. Like I liked the intellectual puzzle of season one, but I'm personally much more interested in the emotional journeys people take. Um, and, you know, I think when, when people for you hear, Oh, quantum leap, they show quantum leap, like 
they they don't necessarily think that's a show where we're going to get to explore the emotional side of the job the way say on Grey's Anatomy you know like you expect to explore the emotional side of the job um, and I, I love that we made the decision as a group to to tell the emotional side of the job and I should say like I we are all incredibly grateful to NBC and Universal Television like because frankly they could have said no right they could have said right we need another mystery like we want you know we want more leaper x um but they didn't they said they said let let's let's get to know these people more and let's put them through through the ringer yeah well i think you're absolutely right because it, 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 it to me that kind of emotional engagement it's more difficult which automatically in my opinion makes it more interesting you know, just as human beings, not even necessarily from like, I'm going to write this story, yeah. but even just as the way people relate to one another, it's easy to have like that intellectual conversation. But when you start talking about your hopes and your fears and, you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera, that, that can be difficult. And I think that that automatically does, it makes it more interesting, but, um, to, to not give short shrift to, to the leap side <laughs> briefly, cause I, 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 I don't want to keep you too long, but, um, I, I do love the the way that everything is set up, and and I, I love the you know the spy craft that we get throughout the episode. Um, you know, thinking about it in terms of that, uh, was there any research that you did? Is this something you just kind of came in, kind of prepared to write? I I didn't. I worked on a lot of movies like this from when I first started writing back the Manchurian Candidate. Like, which I think I started writing the script of in like 1998 or something like that. <laughs> um, and I, I, so I've, and I've worked on shows like this, like, so I didn't do a ton of research, but what I did do was embrace this idea of, I want Ziggy to have as little information. Mm. I, I just, I love Ziggy. I love, don't get me wrong, but I, I, you know, I also love Ben having to figure things out on his own or even Ben and Addison having these things together. And I like, I, you know, it was very intentional that Ben figures basically everything of the leap story out more or less on his own. Like he gets the download from Addison, a little bit about who he is. Addison is the one who pieces together that Layla's nomad. It's not like Addison makes the ask. Right. So this was a chance. It was a very conscious decision to say, "Let's let's see if we can tell the story with as little dialogue as possible about the story." Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that also gives you more time for um, it gives you more time for the character stuff, but also even for the set piece stuff. And I always well, think it makes people <laughs> seem smarter, frankly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that one of the things that's so smart about the decision to kind of to limit Ziggy's involvement and influence on the story is I feel like it sets up really, really well the potential to do that again in the future. You know, and, and we saw it a little bit in a kind of magic, you know, because there wasn't necessarily the, the records or whatnot. But but obviously they were still leaning on Ziggy. You know, they were still leaning on information. And, and with this episode, with them having to figure it out a little bit more on their own, and especially the way that Addison, I, I, I love the way that she was able to really take charge back at the project and really start asking the right questions, you know, like you said. And, and, and like, it makes, yeah, it makes the characters look smarter. It makes them look, you know, better. And and, and I, I love the, the coaching that she was giving Ben. The wonderful thing is it felt like at times that, he was certainly not resistant to it, as we saw, like in, you know, uh, Lonely Hearts Club or anything. But it also didn't necessarily seem like he needed it as much. That it almost, that he was taking it in, but he was still going to make up his own mind about things. Yeah. Um, is there any difficulty in, in, in making sure that, especially when you have two strong characters, that, you know, that they're not too independent from one another? How do you keep them so engaged with one another when they have to kind of make up their own minds about things? Well, I think, you know, you judge it kind of on the episode and the situation mm. that they're going through. And because Addison, you know, Addison, Addison's got a big, it's not, I don't want to call it a secret, but Addison's got something on her mind besides <laughs> his leap. Sure. This ring. Um, and Ben has something on his mind besides this leap, which is what's, how should he allow himself to feel? about him like 
you know, because dare he even start to care for someone again. Uh, I'll circle back to like, what's the price of being a leaper? What's the sacrifice? Like, mm. do you get to love people? You know, do you have to be someone who's, I get to love you for one day? Like, like so there, Ben puts, you know, Ben's heart's on the line, I think, starting again. So when your two leads to answer your question, I think when they've got something else going on, it, it allows us, we can still have the interplay between them and, and they work really well as a team and, they, and she helps them. Um, but, you know, it, I don't think you ever get the feeling that for either of them, the only thing they're thinking about is the leap. You know, like we're back in early in season one, of course, all Addison was thinking about was the leap because the leap was the only way Ben gets home. Right. right. And same for Ben. But now, until the end of the episode, the notion of Ben coming home is, it's kind of off the table. You know, I mean, we've talking about it, but we haven't been talking about it a lot. Not a lot of progress has been made. Right. Um, and so I think that's what you're sensing as a viewer. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is, it's still their day job and it's still the most important thing. But, but you know, these are characters who are starting to have lives that are bleeding into the leaps and the audience knows what those lives are. And that's what we didn't get to do in season one that we got to do in season two. Like you, we know what Addison's thinking. We know what Addison's yeah. um, So, and that was the big, that was, that was the risk for us worth taking. Because certainly splitting the relate, you know, unclipping the shipper however we want to say it you know, <laughs> tearing ben and addison apart for season two for at least some of season two i don't want to say all because we haven't finished it um <laughs> it's not we didn't do it lightly you know we know it's a scary risky thing to do especially in season two a lot of times people wait longer um, right but it just it just gives the audience so much more to watch. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things I was saying right before we started and, and Drew wisely was like, we should hit record, uh, is that I think that season two, while certainly building on the relationships and these characters that were built in the first season, has felt very much like its own separate entity, its own separate story. And and like you had mentioned, you know, Martin referring to it as, as a book, right? Within a series almost. And it makes a lot of sense because it stands well enough on its own that you can appreciate it having never seen season one. But I do think that there there's a lot more richness to it if you've, of course, if coming from it, seen season one. Um, so I, I, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, as a viewer, I'm very, very pleased. And I just think that season two has you know, to borrow Drew's words before we start recording, it has avoided any kind of sophomore slump. And if anything has just become a, a, a richer and, 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 and deeper story um, that has engaged me uh, on, you know, on a, on a higher level, as well as seeing these incredibly um, textured performances, you know, born out of this great writing. Well, that's, that's very kind of you. I know we're all, we all feel, we all, I think, from the writers to the cast to the crew to like, we all feel really, we're very proud of this season. And I think I'm very excited for everyone to see for the rest of it in, yeah. in 2024. I, speaking of which, any hint as to when we might be able to, to see that? <laughs> no, I, I, I legitimately don't know because, because this, the strikes, which thankfully now are settled, has created such a logjam uh, sure. shows, you know, like there, that was a number of months that shows didn't get to air and NBC has a big logjam of shows. Um, and so I think they're just parsing out, okay, when can we give this show this many episodes? And I, I expect it'll be, I expect it'll probably be Jan like late January through end of February, I think, but I, I, I don't know. I sure. My hope is that we get to do them and then I have to run, but I, my hope is we get to do them so that you get to see them more or less without a, a break, you know, like, or maybe one break. I, I just, I think this whole season really is meant to be seen without a break, but yeah. the last 
five really, I think, if we could just line them up, that'll be wonderful because um, by the time we're done, you'll be able to watch this podcast again and, and you'll be like, well, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. Yeah. I, well, I, I can't wait to, to connect those dots. And I just think that you all are doing a phenomenal job. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for you being here uh, to talk about the show and get insights. Of course, there's so many more questions. So I, I hope we get the chance to do it again soon. Oh, I'll be um, there. Uh, if, probably for 209, but for sure for 213, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. That sounds great. Uh, Dean, thank you so, so very much. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Absolutely. Always.